Class is a member of Jared Dorchen. In 2014, in the APAC conference, was speaking John McCain. And he started to speak. He said that he was he's a very dear friend of Jolly Bowman, Senator Jolly Bowman. And together they traveled the world. They went everywhere, all over the world. And he says, over the years, he was so, so many times with Lieberman that he was eating a lot of uh, fish, salmon, because Lieberman keeps kosher. And every time he was, he served them fish. And he said many times, he was endless time in Shabbos elevators. You now every door, every floor, they stop and it goes, can take you a weekend till you come to your place. And he walked so many times to, uh, and Shabbos, he walked with them because he couldn't, because uh, uh, Lieberman is not uh, driving a Shabbos. And so on and on. He said, he told once, Joe, I have only the, I only suffer the downsides of Judaism. I, have. I don't have the upsides. I'm converting. Joe told them, a great idea. Go ahead. I really respect it. Just don't forget, you'll have to have a breeze. He <laughs> said, he changed his mind. <laughs> McCain was, an, was a great man. I mean, as obviously in America, everybody knows his story. He was born to a family of army admirals. His father was an admiral, his grandfather, and he wanted to do the same thing, to join the Navy. And then it was, he, he joined actually, and then he went to the army and he became a pilot, and he was flying over Vietnam in 1967, it was, or 68? 1967. On October 26, 1967, his flight shut down and he fell in, a, in the sea or in the water. Ejected. And he by himself, even he broke his two feet and had his two hands and, a, and, and one leg. And he almost drowned. He was able to pull himself out. To, he woke up from his he was unconscious, he woke, him, he woke up and he saved himself and he was able to get to the shore and there Viet Vietnamese found them and they beat them up, it was a mob. They beat them up, they stabbed them and he was given over to the authorities. But they took him to a prison and they tortured him for six weeks until they discovered that he's coming from a very important family in the American army. And they tried to be a little nicer to him, not too nice. After a while, his father was appointed to be an uh, officer of uh, a part of, one, one of the big officers in the Navy. And they decided the Vietnamese wanted to release him, to show goodwill, to show that's one reason. The other reason to create a demoralization among the soldiers, that people who have connections are being released first. And the rest of them are stuck. And he said something unbelievable. He, he made a condition, he said, I will only be ready to be released from, from, from captive, captive, being a captive only if anybody was captured before me will be released from from from, from Vietnamese yeah, from captivity, thank you. Obviously he knew it I'm not going to do it. He still did it. He still said it. 
He didn't want to be before anybody was captured before him. They got so angry with them that they tortured them much more. They tortured them so badly that he wanted to commit suicide in jail. And they caught him, they didn't give him the chance to commit suicide. Once, and maybe even more than once. And only in 1973, from 1967 till 1973, talking about over five and a half years, he was in captivity. And only then, when it was a, when they made, when they decided of a ceasefire, when they signed a ceasefire between America and Vietnam, only then he was released. He came back home broken. He came off on the plane with, with crutches. Now, to stay in captivity, to remain in captivity willingly, just because your friend should not feel bad, is something unbelievable. How unbelievable is it? We'll see it from a story in the Bible. There is a story in the Bible about three men, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They were three boys who were captured by Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king. They were exiled from Jerusalem. And they were chosen to be advisors to the king because they were very smart. And the Babylonian king wanted to take the smartest boys from every country, from everywhere. And he found who he found the smartest from Jerusalem. And they became advisors to the Babylonian king in Babylon, in Iraq. And there, they told them that they are vegetarians. They didn't want to eat not kosher. To tell them that they didn't want to eat not kosher, they wanted to eat forced. They became vegetarians. And actually, the Bible says that they, they became healthier. That's a proof of, of, of the vegetarians. <laughs> they ate really nothing. They became healthy, just like everybody else did. In any case, one day, Nebuchadnezzar decided to build a huge monument made out of gold, I think. I think it was 100 feet tall, something like this, huge. And he invited representative from every nation to come to bow down to the idol. And Hananiah, Mishael, and Isaiah were left to do the same thing. They decided they don't want to do it. They went to the prophet Ezekiel, the Talmud says. And they asked him, what should he do? He told them, God will not save you. Or you go, the, or you run away, or don't think God is going to save you. Because Nebuchadnezzar said, anybody who will not bow down to the idol, will be thrown into the furnace. There was no mistakes. They decided they are going to do it. If God saves them, good. If not, not. They are not going to allow that the whole world will bow down to idol. And nobody will even know that there is a God in heaven. They didn't bow down. People from Babylon, good souls, came right there to the king to report them that these three are not bowing down to the idol. They were called to the king. The king yelled at them, how oh, dare you do it? Your God will not save you from, from my hand. You'll be thrown into the furnace. They told him, if God will save you from your hand or not, it's God's decision. But no matter what, we are not going to bow down to the idol. And the Medrash adds, Rashi adds an amazing line. They told them, in laws about, in, 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 in uh, secular rules, Texas and things like this, we have, we have an obligation to listen to you. You're the king. When it comes to deny God, you are the dog. You and the dog are the same. We're not afraid of you. 
guess what? They were thrown into the furnace. It was the time when, when the band used to play a certain tune and everybody had to bow down. They didn't bow down, thrown into the furnace. The furnace was turned down even higher than usual. So much so, the Bible says in the book of Daniel, then the, the people who brought the toy into the fire got burned themselves. It was so hot. And then Nebuchadnezzar sees four people walking in the furnace. Coming, come. Like they were taking a walk in, a, in the garden. He says, look, the four person. He told him, he told him he's an angel of God. Maybe God himself. He saw such a thing. He reduced the fire. They took a few days to bring down the fire. They took him out. They told them how great that God is, and uh, amazing. This story became uh, one of the main cornerstones in Jewish history. The Matityahu, the Maccabee, wanted to encourage his children to, continue, to be close to Judaism, to be dedicated to God mitzvahs, to the Torah, no matter what, even it was in the time of the Greeks that were full of, uh, they were, they were the decrees against Judaism. He told them, keep the Torah and God will make you miracles as much as he did for Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That's what Matityahu told his, told his kids. Right? An amazing story. Then comes the Talmud in another place and says, Rav, Omar Rav, Rav says, if Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah did a very heroic thing, but if they would be beaten up, if they would be tortured on a daily basis, they would bow down to die. It means to say, it's easier to do a one-time heroic thing to be thrown into the furnace than to day in and day out to be tortured. This takes much more strength than to do a one-time thing. It's self-sacrifice. Every time when the Rebbe used to speak about the Russian Jewry, used to say, look at them. The Talmud says that Hanani, Meshad, and Nazariah would not be able to stand, withstand the, the torture. And the Russian Jews, 70 years of suffering, and this, they still stay Jewish. That tells us that constant torture is, takes even more strength than a one-time thing. And John McCain chose it. That's a true, it's a righteous gentile, the concept of a righteous gentile, that's a true righteous gentile. Why did it? What lays behind it? We find something in the parsha of this week that tells us why, what God, really God is expecting of us Jewish people to be like this. What does this mean? We read that the name of the parsha of this week is Kitavo. Kitavo means the, the first verse in the parsha is when we come to the land of Israel and we apportion it and we settle there, we should bring the first fruit to God. A person, most of the people were farmers. If you grow pomegranates or you grow dates or figs and you see the first date is becoming, is, is ripening, take the first few fruits and bring it to the temple and bring it in a basket to the coin and give it to him as a present. And the whole mitzvah is about saying thank you. Concept of gratefulness is in this parsha. You have to be grateful to God. Beautiful. That from the text, from the first verse that the Bible says, you should, when you, when you, when you inherit the land, 
and you divide the land, then you bring the, the first food. The rabbis learned that for the first 14 years, they took the Jewish people in the time of Joshua to conquer the land and apportion the land to the 12, to, to all the tribes. During this time, they were not obligated to bring Bikurim, the first fruit of the temple. You had to wait until everybody settled, and only then you, you are obligated to bring the, the first fruit. And the Rebbe is asking, why? Why not to bring the first fruit right away? I got my piece of land, let's say, two years after we entered the land of Israel. I have a nice place. I built myself a nice house. I have a backyard. I have a big field. And I'm uh, growing uh, growing uh, uh, pomegranates and, and dates and figs and barley and wheat. <laughs> and I'm making money. Why should I not be obligated to come to say thank you to God? Isn't this being ungrateful if I don't do this? Why the Torah says, wait until only 14 years, when everybody said, only then you're obligated. Why should I not be obligated to bring right away my first word? I have to say thank you for some. Me, my life is good. I should come and say thank you. The Rebbe said something amazing, something profound. A Jew is to feel that as long as there is one Jew who is not settled, his joy is not complete. When can you come? Bikurim is a mitzvah to bring to God only when you are in in a state of state of mind of joy, rejoicing and happiness, and you're thanking God. How can I thank God if there is somebody? Yeah, I'm thanking. I'm happy, but to rejoice, there is somebody who is still an, a refugee. Somebody is still on his on his suitcases. He doesn't does not have a home. Yeah, I have a home, but so many don't. I cannot be fully rejoicing in my life. I cannot be, I'm thanking God, but I can, not to the point that I bring a first fruit. We saw it after the Holocaust, you know, many people made it the day that they survived the Holocaust, a day of celebration. They made a party and so on. But many said, no, I'm not making that day. How could I celebrate? So many didn't make it. We see the same idea somewhere else. There is, right after Sukkot, we are going to begin to pray for rain, right? When we start, when we mention rain, and Shmini Atzeret, we ask, we say, we say a special prayer for rain. But actually asking for rain in Israel, we begin two weeks after Shmini Atzeret, the seventh of Cheshvan. Why? The Talmud says because the pilgrimage, the people used to make it to Jerusalem, took them, the farthest Jew took him two weeks to make it all the way to his home. Then the Jews didn't want to pray. Well, somebody's on the road, they will get in more, they'll get in trouble. That the whole nation was waiting for the last schlepper to make it home before they asked for rain. That once the Rebbe spoke about it and he says, it doesn't make sense. The need in Israel for rain is, is desperate. The whole nation needs rain. And you have an obligation to pray for your need. Then why you, why you stop praying? The Rebbe said the same concept. If somebody is on the road, I don't need rain. If somebody will suffer from the rain, I don't need it anymore. That's kind of unity that God wants the Jewish people to have. That's what John McCain really demonstrated. If somebody else cannot go out, I don't need to go out. Coming to the high holidays, Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, when everybody is in coming to synagogue, then we, then we realize that we are one family. 
but not just one family. It's like one body with different organs. Then it's, we're all dependent on each other. We cannot say it's the toenail is hurting me, it's not my problem. If the toenail is hurting, it's my problem. It's hurting me in my head, in my brain, not just in my toenail. Then we are all one. And that's what the high holidays, the whole month of Tishri is supposed to bring us to get the sense that it's one nation, we are in one boat, and we are one people, and when only when it's good for everyone, it will be good for us too.